following sermon is from Faith Bible Church, located in Murrieta, California. More information about Faith Bible Church is available at www.faith-bible.net. Well, it is uh, good to be back with all of you, and we are getting back into the book of Acts today after some time off. Uh, and uh, there's just something really sweet sometimes about time off. It's refreshing. Uh, it allows you to refocus and repurpose. I took some time off uh, during the week of Thanksgiving. We decided to do a day trip to San Diego. We thought, you know what? It would be fun. Our kids love biking. Let us bike around Mission Bay. Uh, we did not know that was 14 miles at the time, uh, but thought that'd be great. I'm going to load up the bikes. I was supposed to do that night before. Time got a little bit away from me as it prone to doing to all of us. Uh, and so I thought, oh, I'll just do it in the morning. So 8 a.m. that morning, I'm out in my garage getting out the bike carrier, wheeling out bikes. The kids come out after breakfast. They form the assembly line of adding air to tires, adjusting seat heights because they're growing, fixing brakes, all those things. 30, 40 minutes later, we got five bikes dialed in in the back by the car. And so we start to load them on, at which point I realize that only one of them actually now fits the bike rack carrier that we have. The other four do not. Uh, and so I'm trying to figure out how to get them into the van, onto the van. I'm calling friends to borrow the little rack bar thing that you use to load on girls' bikes. Uh, they make such a thing, in case you were, worried, you were curious. Two hours later, uh, we're ready to roll, uh, which is not how you generally want to leave the house in the morning. So supposed to be 8, 8.30, we roll out after 10, we get down to San Diego at a little bit after 11. And uh, so plans have changed. We were going to bike the bay and then do lunch. We decide, you know, lunch is good now. It's 11.30. And uh, just it just felt like in that moment, even though later on we saw the wisdom and providence of God in that, it felt like, God, uh, this is not what we had planned. All of our planning had failed, right? All of the morning was shot. Uh, we were all hungry. We hadn't even ridden a quarter mile. And I feel like in that morning, this is normal life for most of us, right? We make all these amazing plans for how our day should go, and they don't happen that way at all all. You know what I'm talking about? And it is easy to complain about days like that when things don't go the way you want. It seems more often than not that things don't go the way we want. We chart out what we want to happen. We adapt. We adjust as things go. I've read the military has a saying that no battle plan ever survives the first encounter with the enemy. And that feels really true to me. Right, Because reality seems that great planning never aligns with what actually happens, which makes the most frustrating people and sometimes the most frustrated those who are inflexible, those who can't adapt to the changes. They, uh, they're hard to work with because life is always changing. And, and that's a problem for us because we want life to go a certain way. Right, You go up to your spouse to have a conversation and you're pitching whatever you're talking about in such a way, expecting them to act and respond to you in a certain way. You, you go to work and you, you aim to win. You, maybe you're saving lives or selling something or 
teaching in a compelling way or just trying to get through paperwork, whatever it is, you judge the success of your day on, did it go according to plan? Did I accomplish everything that I intended to do with my day? Did I complete my task list? And the the problem is that all of us have really different goals. We, we have different ambitions for each day. And those, those goals are often at odds with one another, right? You want to talk through this concern on your heart and your spouse really just wants to sleep. It's a problem. It leads to conflict, right? You, you just say, I just want to ask this quick question. And your mom wants to know how all of life is going, Right? One of you always finds your plans frustrated. In fact, there's, there's only one person whose plans never change. Who is that? God, Christ, right? His plans are unstoppable. It's the title of the message. It's really clear. You know this. What God has planned will always come to pass. And I think that's really critical for us to understand in 2020. Because 2020 is a year that none of us planned, that none of us were looking for or that met any of our expectations. We went from normal gathering in January to restricted gatherings and smaller gatherings and then sheltering at home and then ambiguity, right? And then we went from normal conversations with people to we can't be around people to wear a mask to you should know their name and address just in case you need to notify them later. As a church, we've lost our meeting space. For, for some of you, you've lost your job. For, for families, like all of life has changed. School has changed. Sports have changed. Extracurricular stuff has ground to a halt. Culturally, we're more dependent on technology than ever before, right? To shop, to handle finances. Even normal face-to-face meetings have moved to video. But by none of this was our God caught by surprise, right? This is strangely, this year, all in alignment with his perfect plan. That's crazy. He not only expected this to happen, he planned for it. When the virus originated in Wuhan, China, and it spread from the rest, to the rest of the world, He didn't just know this would happen. It was according to his plan. It's not just that he was aware of how Governor Newsom would respond in these days, but he orchestrated all things to guarantee that our governor would respond the way that he has. There is this really strange paradox in Scripture that all of the world is in bondage to sin and ruled by Satan while, at the same time, Our Heavenly Father is working everything out for good according to His perfect and wise plan. That is mind-blowing, right? He will not be stopped from accomplishing everything He has planned. In our house, we have just started watching the Avengers with our kids, uh, and we're trying to do it in the rough order, which means I'm going to talk about something they haven't seen. Uh, So uh, Avengers Infinity War... If you're into Marvel, Avengers, Infinity War, Doctor Strange, right? They're fighting Thanos and he sees that there's 14 million 
605 roughly futures and there's only one in which they're going to win and he sets in motion this trajectory where a superhero has to die in order for Thanos to be defeated which is a fun plot line but it's this small element that reveals how great our God is because our Lord doesn't just see the potential futures and the different possible outcomes he is leading down us down the one future that he has selected that is going to bring him the most glory. He is actively leading and planning and guiding us through every good and bad thing that happens, always being faithful, never permitting something to happen that is at odds with his perfect plan. And I think that's the major point Luke has for us in Acts 28. Open up your Bibles there. Luke wants us to see that big idea here in Acts 28 as we start to wrap up the end of the book of Acts. We're going to finish it next week, but today what we're going to see is that God is faithful even when we can't see how. God's faithful even when you and I don't see how he's being faithful, which is exactly what the early church needed to hear and to know and to understand. The Lord had promised to build his church and they were being persecuted and he would be faithful. Our Lord has promised to hold tight his children, and he does that. He's promised to reach the world with the gospel, and he's doing that. He told Paul, I'm going to take you to Rome, and he's doing that. We read in the beginning of Acts chapter 28, Just we, we find some invaluable truths about how God works. First thing we see is that God's ways are not our ways. God's ways are not our ways. You may remember a month or so ago when Chris was last with us. That's just fun. Right at you, Chris. What had happened? Paul had been shipwrecked, right? They had lost the boat after two weeks at sea in a terrifying storm that was so bad people didn't really eat because they were so terrified. Finally, in answer to Paul's prayers and God's plan, The ship nears an island, hits a reef, everyone swims, washes ashore, everyone's saved. Now we know God's intention is to bring Paul to Rome. Couldn't he have done that by allowing them to get there? Right? Like that would have been my vote. Seems a lot nicer, easier. He could have brought them in bad weather to a harbor. Like, there's no reason they had to crash. He could have crashed them on shore. Like, why make them swim and fear for their lives? All of this to say, God's ways are not our ways. Because none of what happens in Acts 27 and 28 is how any of us would choose to land on, on, on an island. And these men are on a beach, bedraggled, waterlogged, which is where Acts 28 starts. Look at verse 1, Acts chapter 28, and let's read the first verses together with us. And we were brought safely through, after we were brought safely through, we then learned that the island was called Malta. The native people there, the islanders, showed us unusual kindness, for because of the rain that had set in and because of the cold, they kindled a fire and received us all. But when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened itself on his hand. 
And when the natives saw the creature hanging from his hand, they began to say to one another, Undoubtedly, this man is a murderer, and though he's been saved from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. However, Paul shook the creature off into the fire and suffered no harm. But they were expecting that he was about to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. And after they'd waited a long time and had seen nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and began to say, he's a god. (sighs) Clearly, God works in ways we don't expect or understand. I don't know if you've ever thought or realized, but all of the changes you have to make and adapt to and adjust in your daily life, those are actually all necessary not to frustrate you or lead you to complaining, but in order to accomplish God's perfect will in the world. That's, that's kind of mind-blowing. Rather than an inconvenience or a, a um, challenge to your plans, when your schedule is thrown into turmoil, it is because God has other plans for your day and for the world than what you thought would be best. So when your friend calls, which seems to be happening more and more these days, and they call and say, hey, I just tested positive. I know we were together a couple days ago. Well, you can start to feel like your life is wrecked, right? Because all of life has to change for you. You have to cancel plans. You have to think about who you were around. You have to wrestle and weigh out. Do I want to go get tested? It's 150 bucks. From our perspective, the day is shot. The news is bad. But could it be that God is at work? Could it be that God, even in the midst of strange canceled plans and weird news, God is at work, that your plans needed to be canceled in order for God's perfect plan to move ahead. His ways are perfect all of the time. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, right? You know this. My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. In Acts 28, we see it this way. Paul, I'm going to take you to Rome, but first... I'm going to put you in prison for a couple years, right? In Caesarea for this long while. And then I'm going to send you by ship there. But on the way, we're just going to let a two-week storm kind of demoralize everyone, fear for their lives, and wreck, um, wreck the boat. In fact, I'm not going to like just wreck the boat. I'm going to have it wreck the boat in the water to where people are not sure they're going to still live. But I will let everyone live so long as no one leaves early. I think you can agree with me that when Paul wrote the Romans and said, I plan to go and be with you and encourage you, this is not the way he planned to get there, right? This is not the idea he had in his mind of how he was going to get to Rome. And you'll notice in Acts 28, once all the tired, wet, hungry men are on the beach, what happens? It starts to rain. Because that's really what you need when you've just escaped a shipwreck and it's winter. You're really not wet enough. Is God in control of the weather? Yeah. Is this rain part of his plan? Yeah, it is. Right? Would I be standing there complaining to God? Absolutely. Without a doubt. I forget that his ways are not my ways. But this is actually the means by which the islanders, the natives there, began to show hospitality. 
Uh, they, they probably don't speak Greek, but they go out of their way to care for 276 people who wash up on the shore. They build this bonfire. They start to get the men warm again. And you'd think at this point things are getting better because they're starting to dry up and warm off, dry off and warm up. But God's ways aren't our ways because after a shipwreck and a good rain, the next thing you need is a bite from a poisonous snake. That's what happens to Paul as he's getting firewood, a, uh, a viper, a poisonous snake. It's, uh, there's no more uh, snakes on Malta at this point due to population growth. Neighboring islands have the horned, uh, the horned viper, which is the most poisonous snake in Europe. It's probably that that bit onto his hand. It ex- meets kind of what the islanders were expecting to happen when toxins hit his body. Paul's unaware of the danger. He just shakes the snake into the fire, which is... Not how I would react. (laughs) God's ways are not our ways. How do you handle adversity? How do you deal with the changes to your life and to your plans? Right, that's what this passage really forces us to grapple with because we see it again and again. We've all been forced to deal with these changes in 2020, going from what really is normal to what's being called the new normal, uh, where large social gatherings are advised against, you have to stay home, you go out, In public, to enter a store, you need to wear a mask. You should probably wear a mask all the time, maybe even when sleeping, right? Like there's just all all these things that happen. And then when you get to the store, you find out that the things you're shopping for, a number of them are missing, right? Whether it's cleaning products or toilet paper or flour or wet wipes, whatever it is, you're just joyful that you found like gas station quality single ply uh, somewhere so that you could bring it home for your family, Because Amazon Prime isn't two day now, it's a month. So so you adapt to the change. And your kids do the same thing, right? School is canceled. And so you might return, but nobody's really sure. Right now it's online. People are increasingly demotivated. And you look at the thing, I'm talking to teachers during the last picnic we had. And there's good evidence, conclusive evidence. Class ends and certain video cameras are still online. Why is that? Because the students aren't there, right? They're in class, but they're not in class. Can we say that what's happening right now is in accordance with God's plans? Yes. His ways are not my ways. Can I trust him when things don't go according to what I think is best? When your spouse comes home with bad news, when you get the call that your parents aren't doing well, when your job is terminated, when you have to wear a mask to stand in a line just to shop at Ikea, can you trust that God's perfect plans are happening right in front of your eyes? Yeah, you can. You know this, but how does your heart respond to this? Right? I I think that that's the challenge to us here. Like Israel, we are prone to complaining. We are prone to taking uh, matters into our own hands and forcing our way. When change is forced upon us, we're prone to seeing evil and conspiracy around us. But God's ways are not our ways. Romans chapter 11, verse 33. Oh, this is Paul just being amazed. Oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how unfathomable his ways. Sometimes you, you just never know why things go the way that they do, right? 
how do you handle changes to your life and to your plan? Can you accept them with peace and grace as part of God's plan? When, when you think about Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, which many of you know, trust in the, Lord, in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding, in all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make your path straight. Do you think that part of that trusting in the Lord with all of your heart is embracing that His ways are not your ways? That His plans are different than what you've laid out for your day? Can you accept that and acknowledge that and trust him for that? God has a plan. He had a plan for Paul. He has a plan for you. He has a plan for our church. He even has a plan for the world. So we don't need to fear. God's ways aren't our ways. We need to be faithful, even if, second, your labor doesn't bear visible fruit. Even if your, your labor, your work, your ministry, what you do in life doesn't seem to be bearing much visible fruit. Earlier, Acts chapter 14, you, you might remember we talked about it and uh, Paul earlier had been accused like this of being a God. And when, when people said, he's a God, he rebuked them. He told them about Jesus. Here, Acts 28, when we read this, nothing. He doesn't say anything that Luke records. Maybe Paul didn't know what they were actually saying because the islanders were, uh, the Greek word there is barbarians, which isn't like a derogatory term. It just means they didn't speak Greek. And so maybe he was unable to communicate the gospel in a language that they would understand. They were, he couldn't communicate back and forth. It's also possible he just wasn't feeling very preachy after being shipwrecked, hungry, wet, and bit. Like that's entirely possible. But it's strangely absent from the text. Because most of what you read through the book of Acts is it's gospel presentations and responses to the gospel as different people and peoples believe. There's, there's nothing here. There's no evidence that he preached the gospel. There's no evidence that anyone believed and was saved in Malta. Like pick up in verse 6. Look at this. They were expecting that Paul was about to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But after they'd waited a long time and had seen nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and began to say he was a god. Now, if that wasn't enough, verse 7, in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the leading man of the island, named Publius, who welcomed us and entertained us courteously three days. And it happened that the father of Publius was lying in bed, afflicted with a recurring fever and dysentery. And Paul went in to see him, and after he'd prayed, he laid his hands on him and healed him. And after this has happened, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases were coming to Paul and getting cured. And they also honored us with many marks of respect. And when we were setting sail, they supplied us with all that we needed. This is crazy. Okay, so, so the governor of the island clearly is a wealthy man. He takes everybody in, 276 passengers, until they're uh, distributed into homes for the winter because this small island is going to care for this washed-up, shipwrecked mess of a people uh, through the winter, which isn't a time when harvest is coming in. So they're basically sharing the food that they've got. Uh, the governor's dad is suffering 
from what the, the text calls a recurring fever, which is became later known as the Malta fever. And it was localized in Malta, but also in other parts of that region. And it was uh, learned to be basically a disease that came from the milk of goats. And you'd get this fever that would last about four months, also that would have body aches, chills, all that kind of stuff going through it, sweats. And so Paul goes and he heals Publius, uh, Publius's father. When, when word gets out, many people in town come and visit and are also healed. And we know from Scripture, 2 Corinthians 12, I put in your notes Hebrews 2, the, the purpose of healings was to authenticate the messenger. Look at Hebrews chapter 2, verse 3 and 4. After the gospel was first spoken through the Lord, it was confirmed to us by those who heard, God testifying with them both by signs and wonders, by various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. In other words, the, the testifying was accompanied by these signs, by these healings to confirm the gospel that they were sharing. I have no doubt that Paul, in three months' time, would have shared the gospel with Publius, with many of the villagers, with the dad. Those healings, they, they surely would have accompanied the work of God and the words of God. But there is no evidence that anyone in Malta believed. There, it says there's extraordinary kindness. They think for a while that Paul is a god. The, he heals people. They show him great honor and respect. They provide everything that's necessary for his journey. But nobody seems to believe, which is weird because Luke is about the birth and growth of the church. If this happened, surely Luke would have recorded it. Right, Because we've seen the gospel go from Jews to Samaritans to Gentiles. It would have made perfect sense to continue and say, and it's even going to the barbarians, the, the non-Greek speakers. It goes from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, uttermost ends. Malta's in that uttermost section. Paul survives a shipwreck and a, visible, or, and a snake bite, and there's no visible fruit. Paul heals the governor's father. He heals a bunch of people on the island. There's no visible fruit. No conversion, no church established, and only really an implied gospel message. He's got three months of this long journey to Rome, stuck on an island, most of it filled with moments that aren't worth recording, which is a pretty good description of our lives. That, that there are the occasional highlights in life, and most of it is filled with the mundane. So, sometimes we read our Bibles, Acts, Gospels especially, we read biographies of believers from the past, and it just feels like they were so much more fruitful, and their lives were filled with uh, amazing event after event. And we forget that the vast majority of life is filled with the mundane, is filled with the boring, with the unremarkable. Most of what you and I do in life is not going to be noteworthy in and of itself. And we're called to faithfulness in that mundanedness, right? To embrace that there may not be a lot of visible spiritual fruit in the day-to-day -day grind that we all do. That when you share your faith and somebody doesn't respond, that's kind of normal, right? When, when you talk to your kids and it seems to be going in one ear and out the other, 
And so you just keep praying. That's kind of normal. When, when I preach and there's not mass revival, it's kind of normal. Right? When you work your tail off and you're, you do it because you're serving Jesus and nobody thanks you, it's kind of normal. We don't do things with the expectation that there's going to be immediate results. We, we recognize that our work may not bear visible fruit. 2 Timothy chapter 2 is really helpful on this. It's in your notes, verses 4 to 7. Look at it. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It's the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. <laughs> I like verse 7. Now think over what I say, for the Lord's going to give you understanding in everything, which is an indicator. It may not be clear when, what you just read. But, but this is just one thing I'd like you to see here. Do you notice that those three professions he just mentions there, right? The soldier, the athlete, the farmer, none of them has immediate reward. All of them work really hard with actually no reward. The soldier trains and trains and trains so that he's ready if there's a battle. The athlete works his tail off and practices and practices and practices so that one day he's ready for a competition. Right? The farmer perseveres and plods and waters and tends and grows and cultivates in the hope of a harvest. All of them are called to a hard faithfulness, a mundane life for the majority of their careers. And that's our life to recognize that we're called to faithfulness even though there may not be a lot of visible fruit from what we do. I think that's why I like the biography of William Carey so much. He was a, one of the earliest missionaries. He was a missionary to India, and he labored long and hard with just these minimal results. His church neglects him and doesn't support him, and he stays faithful. His wife literally goes mad, insane, and he stays faithful. He preaches without a lot of results, and he stays faithful. His Bible translation work, after he gets about halfway done, burns up, and he stays faithful. His wife dies. He stays faithful. Eventually, there's a convert and then a few, and his translation work it finally is redone, and he would say, like, praise the Lord, it's so much better this time. And it results in a Bible. And others come to join him in the work. And he's actually the father of what's now known as the modern missions movement, the, the, um, really the ambition of many churches to send out missionaries to the world. All of them trace their origin to him because he stayed faithful when there wasn't a lot of visible fruit. God has a plan that he is accomplishing. Each of us is a small part of that plan that he is accomplishing. You are necessary to God's plan, even critical to it, but the vast majority of your life is going to be faithful living without a lot of tangible, visible fruit, right? We should not get discouraged slogging along on the paths of righteousness, right? We don't want to envy what we see on Instagram because that's a... Uh, false picture of reality. We wanna, don't want to envy what we read about in books because that's telling us the highlights. Don't want to complain. We wanna, don't want to be discontent. Those things are not reality. Galatians chapter 6, verses 9 and 10 tells us reality. 
let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those who have the household of faith. I think that's Luke's point here for us in the middle of Acts chapter 28, that your witness to your family needs to be faithful, even though it may not appear to be fruitful. Your faithfulness at work needs to be faithful, even though it may not appear to be fruitful. There's no record in Acts of a church ever being founded in Malta, at least in the book of Acts, but surely a number of people there heard the gospel. Now, if I look forward in church history, Publius is said to become one of the first pastors, the first pastor in the church in Malta. He eventually is said to have gone to Athens and to be uh, killed for his faith there about 60 years later. But Luke records none of it. Much of your life, much of your ministry may not bear visible fruit. If what church history says is true, Paul likely never knew that. You are not responsible for the results and the fruit. You're just called to be faithful. Third thing we see here in the text, verses 11 to 16, is that all the world serves the plan of God. All the world serves the plan of God. Just yesterday in the car, I was listening, watching Beth and I watched the little YouTube message as we drove. Beth watched, I drove. Uh, from uh, our sheriff, Chad Bianco, uh, just saying how his deputi- deputies prioritize law and order over enforcement of executive order. I was thankful for that. Then I later read about the hypocrisy of some of our governmental leaders between what they publicly advocate and how they privately live. I was a little cynical. A few days ago, I read about the death of Tim Chalice's son dying of unknown causes while out for just casual sports exercise. I was grieved. It is easy to be blown about by the latest news and to forget that all of the world serves the plan of God. That everything that happened is in line with his plan and for him. That he is orchestrating not just all things, but all people to do his will. Our Lord had plans for Paul to stay in Malta that Paul probably didn't understand and we probably won't ever know. But at the right time, God moved Paul out of Malta. Look at Acts chapter 28 verses 11 and following. At the end of three months, we'd set sail on the Alexandrian ship which had wintered on an island and which had the twin brothers for its figurehead. That was like a good luck symbol for sailing. Verse 12, after we put in at Syracuse, we stayed there for three days. From there, we sailed around and arrived at Rigium. A day later, a south wind sprang up. And on the second day, we came to Pudioli. You know all these places, right? Good. Okay. Verse 14, there we found some brethren. They're, by the way, now on the mainland of uh, Italy. They're heading north towards Rome. There we found some brethren. We're invited to stay with them for seven days. And thus, we came to Rome. In other words, we were in motion towards Rome. Verse 15, the brothers from Rome, when they heard about us, came from there as far as the market of Appius and three inns to meet us. And when Paul saw them, he thanked God and took courage. That's like they were out. They came from Rome about 30, 40 miles south uh, to meet Paul as he's going towards Rome. Verse 16, when we entered Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who was guarding him. See, you might wonder for a while, like I did, 
why in the world did Luke put a travelogue here? Like, not only do am I not as aware of these places, but what is he doing? He is, in, in short order, just describing the final trip of Paul towards Rome. Malta's down south, Rome's up high, it's an island, they have to get there, he's showing the journey. And what he's doing, in essence, is highlighting how all of the world is serving the plan of God. So think about this. The weather right now in what he's describing at the right time, that's what he says, serves the plan of God by sending Paul on the most direct journey north towards Rome possible. In a very direct intentional path, this boat makes straight for Rome. Prior to to Malta, the, the weather was against them entirely. It was like entirely opposed, hindering them all the time, fighting them. Now, the winds just take them where they need to go. The route is perfect. Each leg is as long as a sailor would have been comfortable with in early spring. Each, uh, each day is wonderfully uneventful. He says nothing about them. And he seems to record this just so that we would know, all the world would know, that everything is following the plan of God. That the, the cold weather you sit in is according to the plan of God. The hot mess we endured in September is according to the plan of God. That his ways aren't our ways, but all of creation is following his ultimate plan. Probably unique among creation are we as believers who actually desire to follow his plan. Because in Puteoli and from Rome, believers come and encourage and welcome Paul. After such a long journey, he would need it. Before the trials ahead of him, he would need the encouragement. In fact, that's what he said long ago to Rome. Uh, when he wrote the letter to the Romans, he said to them, right, chapter, 11, or chapter 1, verse 11, I long to see you that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. God's beginning to fulfill that ambition of Paul's. He's orchestrating all of the world towards it. Believers are following the plan of God. The weather's following the plan of God. Every act of yours as a Christian and especially acts of encouragement are in alignment with the perfect will of God. Think about that. Every act of yours as a Christian, everything you do that's in obedience to God, every part of your life is in alignment with the perfect will of God. And I think that's especially true through encouragement. It's one of those things to encourage one another. It's commanded again and again when the right words come to us at the right time. I got a text like that this week and you just are thankful. And that is according to the will of God. God uses believers to exercise his perfect plan and he uses unbelievers to serve his plan. You think about what got Paul to Rome. It was not his desire. It was antagonistic, hate-filled Jews who strung him up before the Roman leaders and accused him falsely of things, they started him on his journey to Rome. And due to that imprisonment, he was allowed to preach to various rulers, both in Judea and eventually in Rome and all through. He got access to Caesar's soldiers, Caesar's household. And God even orchestrated for the imperial jailer when Paul arrives in Rome to have liberty to work and to live and to minister while chained to a soldier, but for two years. He wasn't in the, in the depths of a dungeon. He was fairly free while awaiting his trial. Think about this. Every act 
of an unbeliever, no matter how evil in motive or deed, is permitted by God if and only if it moves ahead his perfect will. Everything that happens in the world is in alignment with his perfect will. The worst tragedy of all, the death of Jesus Christ, fits that, right? Acts 2.23, Jesus was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, and he crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Right? Acts 4 has the same message. There's a lot of evil in the world. Some of you have endured great evil personally. I don't know how all of it fits into the all-wise plan of God. I, I don't understand why he permits certain things to happen. But I have no doubt that he will use it for his glory. That is his promise. God uses nature, believer, unbeliever to accomplish his plans. All of the world serves the plan of God which honestly I need on a Saturday night when I'm looking at the weather forecast and it's said to be in the 30s for worship, right? We need to remember that the Lord controls the weather, that it serves him. Maybe God is keeping someone with COVID home that day. Who knows? He controls the governor and his decrees, right? In the, in the time of Paul, God's plan, we need to remember, was not to make life comfortable for Christians. It was not to make it easier in the way that we would define easy. But his plan was to grow the church and to lead others towards him and towards belief in him. So we shouldn't be surprised when life gets harder. Our challenges personally, our challenges as Christians in America, those are not outside the plan of God. Those are not contrary to the will of God. They're in fact in alignment with the way that God has worked in times past. A couple years prior to Paul arriving in Rome, he wrote this at the tail end of Romans 15. I think it's in your notes, verse 29 and following. He says, I know when I come to you, I'll come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. So I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ, by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf. What? What should they be praying for? Verse 31, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. I don't think Paul had any idea how God was going to answer that prayer. It sure wasn't in the way that he envisioned. But God's ways are not our ways. His plans are unstoppable. We don't necessarily always see the fruit visible to us, but all of the world is serving the plan of God. So we're called to be faithful to make the most of these evil days. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this uh, just brief opportunity to look into what is really, truly an amazing section of your word where we see your ultimate plan revealed as you draw Paul uh, towards unique and new opportunities for the gospel in Rome. To us, you also give unique and new opportunities every day. Help us to remember in the midst of chaos and turmoil and trial and frustration that your ways are not our ways help us to make the most of our days knowing that the days are evil lord to be careful how we walk making the best use of our time we pray that you would lead us to faithfulness gospel faithfulness not silence not just excellence 
but faithful witnesses for you, trusting you for the results, whether we see them or not. We ask this in your son's name. Amen. Thanks for listening today. Sermon audio from the last three years is available by podcast, and a larger archive from Chris Mueller and Faith Bible Church can be found at media.faith-bible.net. And if you would, please leave us a review on iTunes. It helps a lot. Thanks, and have a great day.